3: No purchase necessary. point work prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
4: Log Talk Radio.
0: Hey, this is Zach Ephron, and you're listening to the Stupid Cancer Show.
2: I hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <laughs> I'm as, as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? It is. <laughs>
5: Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays.
2: (laughs) Hello there, children. Hey, hey, kids. (laughs) People seem to like me because I am polite and I'm
3: rarely late.
4: And now the hosts of the Stupid Cancer Show, Lisa Bernhard and Matthew Zachary.
2: I don't
1: think there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Monday, March 28th, and welcome to Season 8 of the Stupid Cancer Show, The Voice of Young Adults with Cancer. I am Matthew Zachary, a 15-year young adult survivor of pediatric brain cancer. And I'm Lisa Bernhard,
5: 15-year young adult breast cancer survivor, and we're your hosts for the Stupid Cancer Show.
1: Got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Well, get busy living because the Stupid Cancer Show is here to change the world one chemo infusion at a time. Tonight's show is a pre OMG
5: Summit special, single with cancer, with Sage faulty PhD, she's a young adult oncology counselor, Johnny Immerman, you know him, many of you do, young adult survivor of testicular cancer and the founder of Immerman Angels, Tracy Maxwell, young adult survivor ovarian cancer and the founder of Solo Survivors, and kicking it off in the Survivor Spotlight, Eric Charsky, a young adult survivor of colon cancer.
1: Alrighty, folks, as a reminder, this broadcast is a production of. The I'm too young for this cancer foundation online at stupidcancer.com We help young adults fight cancer and win every single day And we are bringing the cause of cancer under 40 to the national spotlight where it belongs Because it's not okay that 70,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer every year So hello my friends and welcome back to yet another fun full, and exciting run through the hay here with Lisa Bernhardt on the uh, Stupid Cancer Show Where remission is not a cure and survivorship is all that matters. And a Stupid Cancer
5: welcome to all of our first time listeners on the Blog Talk Radio Network and on iTunes and on Ustream, where we're streaming live as we broadcast live from the Chemo Deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan.
1: All right, the Stupid Cancer Show has a live interactive chat feed during each broadcast. We invite you to join in the fun, connect with our friends, meet the new ones, ask questions of our guests, and get involved in the show itself. And we have some great in studio guests, returning champions tonight. Mr. James Manning is back in studio. Good evening, sir. Good evening,
2: how
1: are you? I'm well, and returning champion, we welcome back Amanda Freeman.
5: Amanda Freeman.
1: <laughs> Don't forget to pull the mic toward your face. Is that better? That is much better, because we want to hear you, because it's so, like, spotted out. You're here. Production assistant extraordinaire. Yes. We've missed her so. We have missed her so. I've
4: missed you guys a lot yes. as well.
1: I mean, James is great, but he's not a girl. <laughs> That's a compliment, though. You're you're quite masculine. Thank you. I do my best.
4: At least he has hair. Yeah. Well, Th- this is true.
1: You did not have hair though for a time, right?
4: Uh,
1: many years ago, yes. Talk so into the mic. Into the mic, is or pull better? the mic. I don't know. I I love this. Everyone like moves their head toward the mic, but the mic is mobile, so yeah. pull the mic towards your mouth, and it's so much more convenient. No.
4: I
5: know the natural inclination is to lean in. To lean in. Well, I think you do
4: that when you eat. You lean in when you eat. Right. And actually, the proper way is to bring the food to your face.
5: (laughs) Amanda knows etiquette. She's good for so many things.
4: (laughs) If 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 only
1: etiquette. If only etiquette. (laughs) That is good stuff.
4: So Amanda, where you been?
1: Yeah. What the the hell's wrong with you, man?
4: (laughs) I mean, come on. Well, I've been having a wonderful time. You know, perfecting the art of vomiting gracefully.
5: (laughs) Give her a round of applause for that. That's my skill. That's my
1: new T-shirt. Perfecting the art of vomiting gracefully.
5: Amanda does everything gracefully, including
4: vomit. <laughs> yes. Yep.
1: And how's that going for you?
4: You know, pretty well. Um and pretty soon, you know, I'm not gonna have to do this anymore. But at least, you know, for the future when, you know, I get smashed, like maybe one night after a party, you know, I won't <laughs> have to like go to the toilet. I can just, you know, do it standing up, and but, like, I love that. She's but, already
5: looking forward to when she can puke from drinking too much alcohol, rather puke, than puke no, from medication. So she can puke
1: ungracefully.
4: Yeah.
5: <laughs> <laughs> That's the
1: word, but you you told me today that you are uh, disease free, no evidence of disease. Yes, I'm very so excited gets, about that. So that gets one of uh, one of yeah. these because it just we know that Paul Rubens. Is very excited.
5: We're knocking everything. You We're have knocking. no
1: evidence of a disease. Yeah. That is fantastic.
5: Yeah, and Paul so Rubens is
1: free of disease, right? Paul Rubens is only disease.
4: He is. He's, he yeah. is a
1: disease. He's pure disease. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what's the next couple of weeks look like for you?
4: So I have one more cycle coming up starting next week. Of chemo. Of chemo.
1: Not yeah. of beer and no. partying. Okay.
4: <laughs> well, that will come shortly thereafter. That's, That's post-operative, yes. yeah Yeah. And uh and then I throughout the summer I'm I'm doing a clinical trial drug which really isn't that big of a deal. It's you know. You've been doing that already twice a week now, right? Yeah, so it goes down to once a week and um and you know, hopefully things, you know, stay the way they currently are. But um I'm what? optimistic and so, so are what's my What the what's the clinical trial
5: and what does that entail? Is that a pill? Is it
4: to tell us no, about that? It's it's a one hour like I V infusion. Um it's an immunotherapy drug, so it basically makes your white blood cells attack cancer cells. Um, So, you know, I get fevers and chills like the day I get it, but other than that, you know, it's not really that bad.
1: So they're assuming that there are still microscopic cancer cells somewhere in you somewhere.
4: Yeah, that's the problem with osteosarcoma. It's not like they can take my blood and, like, see cancer, like leukemia. Right. So they, they, they don't know, so it's sort of like trial and error and, like, hope for the best.
1: Got it. Got it. Okay, well, we're glad you're here. We've missed you terribly.
4: i missed you, too.
1: Yes. And you can have drunken beer festivals with us anytime.
5: We can't wait for that. Yes. <laughs> In fact, the first few shows after Amanda's back, we'll, we will just have drunken beer fest.
1: I think we should <laughs> right? do the show drunk. Let's see what happens. Our, some, our people, some people
5: li- think we already do. Yes, that
1: is. You know what?
2: <laughs> Touche,
1: my love. Touche. Well, we have um, some very big news to announce today on the show this gets a drum roll, because Lisa's going to roll this out. Many of you may recall last season we had a woman named Darlene Hunt on the show. She is the executive producer and and, and, creator. and creator of this, uh, the, 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 I was going to say Showtime's The C-Word uh, with Laura Linney. It's a cancer comedy. The Big C. The Big C. Not The C-Word. What's The C-Word?
5: The C word's a dirty, dirty, dirty word that we're not going to say. Oh, that but word. But the big C, the big C. Is, refers to cancer.
1: <laughs> <A> dirty, dirty, <laughs> dirty word. All right, the big C on Showtime, Darlene Hunt was on the show. and we on were our show. On our show. Right. Thank. I'm, not doing, I'm speaking fine. <laughs> Should I fine. take over? Maybe I'm drunk. <laughs> or not enough, perhaps.
5: Perhaps not. All right,
1: so I'm going to play the drum roll here. Lisa is going to read this big news tonight for everybody. So pay attention, folks. Here we go.
5: Central casting, and yes, there actually is a central casting, is seeking cancer survivors and individuals living with cancer for non-speaking background roles on the Showtime series, The Big C.
3: Holy crap.
5: So anybody who's listening out there, uh, the show is seeking candidates of all ages and ethnicities to participate in filming. Participants will be paid. Ooh. Holy crap. The series currently films in Stanford, Connecticut, just a stone's throw from those of us here in New York City, Uh, and production continues through mid-June of 2011. So if you're interested or you know any cancer uh, folks out there or other folks, they don't even have to be I2Wires, even extend to other organizations, anybody out there who... um, is a uh, cancer survivor or currently undergoing treatment. If you'd like to be have a background, a non-speaking background role on Showtime's The Big C, you should email the Big C Extras, the Big C Extras at gmail.com, and we'll put that. Matthew, putting that into the chat room. I'm doing my
1: best. The okay. Big C. Yes, it's, C so extras. it's
5: the Big C, like the show, and then the word extras, E X T R A S, the Big C Extras. At gmail dot com. Now they want you to include photo, uh, a photo of yourself, and contact information in your submission. So and no your quick,
1: blood type, social security yes. number, and a major credit card. Yeah. Yes. No, he's kidding. Just
5: I'm in, kidding. Just include a photo and contact information, and send an email to the Big C Extras, that's plural, at gmail dot com, uh, to be and have a non-speaking background role on Showtime's The Big C. They're shooting in Stanford, Connecticut through
1: mid-June. i got to give them credit for this. They're really trying to go for the authenticity, and I think that that's fabulous.
5: Yes. We have no idea what the... I mean, I don't know if it'll be a hospital scene. I
1: don't know what it would... I think what it's it going to be medical scene. I mean, it probably... I, w- I
5: would guess it would be just... You're not going to say, oh, look, there's random cancer patients walking the streets. I mean, there probably would be some sort of...
1: Well, I, did, I didn't watch the whole season, the first one, but yeah. I, I assume she went and was in waiting rooms at some point right, and right. walked through hospitals Doctor's and people were in and beds and, like and whatever. That. Yeah. But I think if we get some young people to go on the set. That would that would send a message. That would go a long way go a long to way.
5: letting people know that young people get cancer.
1: So that's they do. They do. That's a very cool voice right there. This one? Yes. Should do the whole show like this. I think you should. Okay. <laughs> I'll be oh, back now. in 2 minutes folks. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. Oh no. I did. You hey, know. Anyway, um, that,
5: that's our 800-number phone line. <laughs> yeah. You've that's reached Girls of Stupid
2: Cancer Show. Right. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
5: that was John Savi, our uh, beloved, yes. beloved multimedia expert who's you-streaming us, saying, I'll
1: donate. Yeah, he'll donate to the Girls of uh, Stupid Cancer Show. Love it. Now, before we bring on Eric, I did want to talk about, we can talk about Kim in the news, but yeah. this um, this couple in Brooklyn, if you're not sure, oh. I haven't heard this news, Uh we have listeners all around the world, but I want to let everyone know what this story is about. There's a young couple in their 30s in Brooklyn. In Bay Ridge, my neighborhood in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, they have an 18-month-old child. And one week apart, the the husband was diagnosed with stage 3 rectal cancer, and the wife was diagnosed with stage 4 metastatic breast cancer. She's 36, she's 37, I think. And they've already raised like $85,000 online through their uh, their website. I made a donation I encourage folks to to give what they can to this poor couple. Um, I uh, was interviewed by the Daily News who who broke the story about them and uh, tried to frame it in the perspective of that they are young adults, and most young adults do get diagnosed at stage 3 and stage 4, and are parents and go through these issues that are very different than when you're 65 or 6. So this story is a perfect example of this cause, the young adult cause, that it's not okay that these two people at the same time married with a child get diagnosed a week apart it's terrible so i am putting out a call for folks to just what are their names um
5: their names are elisa and nathan. bond
1: bond right nathan bond yep. and elisa bond yeah just say brooklyn cancer couple in google and well it's uh, on
5: your facebook page as yeah, well it's on my and facebook uh, page it may be on mine as well, or we'll yeah. post it on mine as well too.
1: All right, we just heard from on the, in the chat room, Melinda Hood uh, from our New York City Planning Committee said that they've, um, the Daily News itself posted a link that raised over twenty-six grand, but I heard they collectively raised over eighty now through their website, and uh, we can we'll try to find that article or that link for you um, throughout the rest of the show, but just heartbreaking. Totally heartbreaking. Terrible story. Yeah,
5: really, really awful but, story. You
1: know, but we are here to talk about singles with cancer because we talked about parenting with cancer. This couple is the epitome of last week's show, parenting they with are. cancer, they are. families and parenting. But uh, all right, I think Eric is in our waiting room here, if I'm not correct, and he is. All right, so let us bring out Mr. Charky. Oh, righty, Eric. Sharsky, the man, the myth, the legend, was diagnosed at age 34, sick for six months prior, and all kinds of tests led to colonoscopies, found 26 polyps in his throat, five in his stomach, and 2,000 in his digestive system, uh, kidneys and liver, he had a total colorectomy, 19 in small intestine were removed, skull bladder, partial ampulectomy, I don't know what that means tumor on his neck, basically he was completely disassembled. Nine surgeries, have been tested annually, but he is a former Marine, raises bikes, endurance events, runs marathons, sails yachts to stay fit and leave an example of what survivors can do that are, quote, gutless, ha, 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 please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show the one and only Mr. Eric Charsky.
0: Hello, Matthew.
1: Oh,
0: there's a booming. Hello, voice is this Darlene? Eric is this Please
1: Darlene?
0: Hello. Yes. Yes. I'm doing well. How about yourself?
1: I love it. It's Eric's going to be our new radio. She's going to replace me. He's got a great Barry White voice. He
0: does. Well, you know, I'm I'm just reciprocating on on Darlene's voice, and it's a 900 line, not an 800 line.
1: Oh, okay. Thank you for clarifying for our listeners.
0: <laughs> 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 we're gonna we're well, you know, we've got Johnny coming on next, so he's got the perfect date hookup thing, so we can just make this a whole. Singles with cancer, hot sex line, dating.
1: Oh, no. Take well, it sure, from there. But when, when we finish our segment, stay on the line. We'll meet you, but we'll bring you back on with the group. But, you know, you have something against, uh, above, you have something up on Johnny. And that, that is that you may be bald and you may be a cancer survivor, but you have two testicles.
0: Uh, we'll talk about that offline. <laughs> oh, oh, really? <laughs> Cause, yeah, there were there were issues with the parachuting accident. I mean, think about what happens when you hit the ground at 60 miles an hour in a harness, kind of.
1: Oh, well, that's wow. not cancer-related, though.
0: No, not cancer-related. That's um, just, like, that's like, like um, crazy extreme Eric-related.
1: This is the extreme sports the, episode?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a whole different, that's cancer and extreme sports. That's the book. Right.
1: Yeah, wow. Nice. All right, so... I'll turn it over, Lisa, but let's just get started with you getting diagnosed with everything at
0: once. (laughs) Go. No worries. Um, Are you talking or i talking? What's going on? You're up, Eric. I'm up. Okay. Um, Everything that you said, uh, however, I do have to correct you. It was Navy and Army, not Marines. Okay. Um, Don't those add up to
1: Marines? uh, Doesn't one Navy plus one Army equal one Marine?
0: No, 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 no. Okay. It doesn't work that way. Okay,
1: sorry. Um,
0: and, and everything, it, it's, it's hard to explain, but with everything that I'm dealing with, it, it doesn't equate to everything. It equates to everything that is, can be in your digestive system. So I can develop cancer from esophageal all the way through to rectal uh, and anywhere in between because of, of FAP and the way that it develops and what's happened so far. FAP? familial abnormal polyposis. Now, you guys were talking about doing the show drunk. If you can say that drunk, I'll pay your bar tab for you.
5: I'll never be able to say it sober. Familial yeah. what?
0: <laughs> familial <laughs> abnormal polyposis.
1: I was just about ready to say, uh, uh, qu- what did the Moser have? Tetratoma, craniosacral, coxagel. Yeah, okay, right. you win, Eric.
0: You yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So tell us what that is.
0: Okay, what FAP is is it's the deletion of your APC gene, and there's there's multiple ways that this can happen within your body. But your A- APC gene is your main cancer suppressant throughout your your digestive system. So when I was diagnosed, I had 26 polyps in my in my throat, uh, five tumors in my stomach, and then uh, 2,000 plus throughout my digestive system to include kidney, kidney and liver on the outside. Most wow. Colon, or excuse me. most FAP patients only develop polyps in their large intestine or in their, their descending colon, either or. Um, there's nine markers for uh, FAP that are known. You can end up with desmoid tumors. You can end up with Crohn's disease. You can end up with all kinds of side effects from it as well. And of the nine, I have six of the markers. So uh, I have to worry about desmoid tumors on top of SAPS, on top of uh, everything else that it can involve. So uh, it's just an ongoing surveillance all the time, uh, which makes life interesting sometimes.
5: So they found all of this when you were first diagnosed. You must have had, I would imagine, lots of symptoms up until that point. Did you and for how long?
0: Uh, Good question. I did have a lot of symptoms, and... I was in a really really high stress position at that point high stress job and I thought you know it's all stress related I'm going through a horrible divorce um, I hate my job
5: jo- What was your job at that point?
0: I was a broker okay um i that's was a job. i was a princi- yeah. a, a prin- yeah i was a principal of a brokerage firm, so i have it had eleven branches, sixty employees, four hundred and something million under management at that point yeah, it's <clears> a lot and um so I I thought it was all stress related I just I was sick all the time I was getting a sinus infection a kidney infection liver infection prostate infection and that would go back to a lung infection and then uh, back to a liver infection and and just one infection after another and and they did CT scans and MRIs and they couldn't find anything and I was skeet shooting with a friend of mine who was my doctor and he said you know just uh, on the odd case I want to do a blood test on you so We went into his office on a Sunday, he drew some blood and he called me Tuesday and he goes, hey, I want you to go in for a colonoscopy. This is genetic. I did inherit it from my mother. Um, So I knew from the time that I was 15 on, I knew that I had to be tested and I was being tested every five years. At that point, they were saying once you hit 30, then you could go to 10 years. So I had been tested four years earlier at 30 years old and they didn't find anything. And uh, so anyway, I went in, uh, got a colonoscopy, and a doctor, another doctor that I I, uh, snowboarded with was one that did the colonoscopy on me, and he came in and looked at me and just broke down and cried. And I was like, I looked at my buddy and said, well, this can't be good. Wow. Um, And and he's just, tears are rolling out of his eyes, and I said, how bad? And he goes, it's the worst I've ever seen. He goes, I don't know what this is. And at that point I knew. I, I knew I had FAP and, and uh I knew it was beyond the, the, the capabilities of, of the doctors that I was working with to handle. Um so I got in touch with M D. Anderson Cleveland Oncological and and um Dana Farber and collaboratively we put together a group of doctors at, at uh, Brigham Women's where my initial surgery was and then my follow ups were at um at uh, Dana Farber where I was in two pilot programs and, uh, and then genetic therapy as well.
5: Where were you living as a stockbroker? Were you in New York? Where were you?
0: I was, I was in Western Mass. Uh, okay. Actually, I wasn't too far. I was in Great Barrington at that point, so I wasn't too far from New York. Okay. Um, and Sloan Kettering was an option, but I looked at the amount of patients that they had had. I think they had in history something like 23 FAP patients that they'd ever treated, and at that point, um, Harvard was treating 56. Initially, while I, when I got diagnosed, I went, okay, I'm going to go where the most patients are right now because that's where the cutting-edge technology is going to be.
5: Sure. And how long had your mom had the disease?
0: Mm, my mom was diagnosed at 40, God bless, she was diagnosed 46, 47 years ago. Uh, she is now 72. Oh,
2: wow. and that's a good uh, sign. Yeah.
0: It a very, very good sign. It, yeah, longevity longevity runs in the family. She is she is struggling. She is in a rehab center right now. Uh after having uh kidney surgery. Uh she's been in the hospital for
6: nope. dealing
0: with that and um hopefully she'll be able to to recover and get out of the hospital soon. But she's she's had a, an amazing great life so far.
5: Wow. Well that's good. So you were also at the same time you said you were going through a divorce.
0: Mm-hmm.
5: Right, okay. Um, a lot of fun. Yeah, I can imagine. Well, what's
0: more fun, cancer or divorce? Uh, I would put both of them on the same level, Matthew. It's about the the, the equivalent of stabbing yourself in the eye with an ice pick.
5: Yeah. Uh, did you um, have any kids or no? Wait,
0: a hot ice pick? No, or a cold no, kids, ice I, pick? No kids. I, I, I was would, I would, I, no, it'd be a cold ice pick, and okay. I was the only child involved. Okay.
5: <laughs> so, uh, so now,
1: so. Well, I want to know but, about a service.
0: Where did your okay, service, what about the Where where it's do you where, you, where you, was you, your you, when was your you've got, you've got to get off this military kick. I'm a, I, I race sailboats now. I don't do anything with the military.
1: No, but I'm curious to know
0: <laughs> were you sick before the military or after? You know a, a, interestingly enough, I did a, a, looking back through my military records, um I was sick. I traveled throughout the Middle East, um throughout Asia, Southeast Asia, uh Africa, Central and South America quite a bit. And when I was in Asia I was really sick for about a month. I just I, I couldn't stop vomiting. I was racing bikes at that point. And they went in, they did a colonoscopy and um they found a tumor in my colon at that point, which I didn't think anything of. I was I don't know what, twenty three years old, something like that. Never equated uh never equated it to FAP, never said anything about it's my family. Just went in and okay, you know, get a tumor removed. Um it never figured out if it was typed or not um, because it was removed in Japan. I don't even know if 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 what language they were speaking <laughs> when I went in. It was it was the craziest thing. Um, I felt better afterwards. Never thought back about it until uh, until I was going through my diagnosis, and then I went. You know, I wonder if I could ever get my fingers on on that medical record from when I was in Japan. It was in actually in Atsugi, Japan, that I was operated on. Uh, I had another issue where I fell down a flight of stairs, broke my jaw. Uh, Actually, I was riding a bike down the stairs and didn't quite make it. But that was the whole doing the drunk radio show thing. And and, uh, they found what they thought were tumors in my jaw. And when, uh, uh, when they went in and operated on my jaw, they found out that I had an extra set of teeth. So I had actually three sets of teeth. And they had become impacted and capsulated in my jawbone and had weakened my jawbone. And the surgeon that operated on me was actually Ronald Reagan's chief oral surgeon and called me and said, look, I want to talk to you, flew out to Guam. And this was in 1989 and asked me if I knew what FAP was. And I said, yeah, my family was involved. And so he made me get tested. I went in for a colonoscopy because he said what showed up on my jaw was a definitive sign that I had FAP. So the signs were there that just the dots never got connected because that's I was traveling amazing. around the world. That's insane.
5: That's that's incredible. Yeah. And you had surgery in Japan in a Japanese hospital or at an American facility? No, it
0: was actually in a it was in a Japanese hospital. Hmm. Uh, we were TDY. I was living in Atsugi. I was on a military base, but we were TDY to to another area. Um, flying to different areas and and when I was sick they sent me into a Japanese hospital and um, they showed me pictures of what they did, and, and I woke up with a little scar and went, "Oh, okay. Well, I guess they did something." Yeah. Um, but I never quite understood what they did. So um, I always wondered if they implanted something, but I don't think they did.
5: <laughs> that's amazing stuff. And so that so that extra set of teeth is is yet another sign.
0: It, um, right. That's actually yeah. part of Gardner syndrome, which at that point Gardner syndrome had not even been been detected as Gardner syndrome. They were just getting to the point that they were connecting whatever the teeth issue was with FAP. Um, desmoid tumors weren't connected to FAP at that point. That was just recently connect, connected genetically. So there's a, they're finding a lot of things that have been called different types of cancers or different types of sarcomas are all directly related to FAP and the genetic deletion of the APC gene now.
5: So before we wrap up here, uh, what an amazing, amazing story, Eric. You've, so what is your condition now and what kind of um, kind of maintenance are you on now? And it sounds like you're still doing your sort of extreme. Are you still jumping out of airplanes and, and doing other things?
0: No, I'm not jumping out of airplanes, although next year I did promise a friend of mine when she turned 40 I would take her and, and jump out of an airplane with her. So that will be my first time since I broke my back when I when I last jumped. Um, I am sailing a lot. I am uh, still training a lot for races, so I don't call it extreme, but other people do. Uh, As far as maintenance, I just got out of the hospital uh, this morning. I just just had a procedure this morning and found out that I'm completely clean and don't have to see the doctor for another year and a half to two years. So (laughs) (laughs) it's... It went from initially being checked every two months, to every three months, to every six months, then I had a reoccurrence, went back to three months, had another occurrence, we maintained every six months, then I went to once a year, then a year and a half, and now we're out to two years now. And I believe John Olis and I are the only two in the country that are actually reversing the effects of FAP and not developing any more follow going forward.
5: Amazing. Do the math for us. You were 34 when you were diagnosed, so that all adds up to your how old now?
0: Uh, almost forty-two. I'm forty-one in change now. Okay, gotcha. Wow, and 40, forty-one's the
1: new thirty-one. So technically, you're 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 younger than you were when you started.
0: I am a hell of a lot younger, much better looking, and much much sexier <laughs> as you keep telling me Matt. No, I
1: I will attest to that. Charsky's a good looking guy. <laughs> and he's a guy you want to always have on your good side.
0: You know, I hey, I'm all about hugs. It's all about how you know. The he, you know he, that lo-
5: he looks a little bit like. Just speaking of too sexy, he looks a little bit like one of the Right Said Fred guys who sang that song from his
1: photo.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, like he's one of the too sexy who? for.
1: He's too I'm sexy too se- for his jarski.
0: Uh, <laughs> thank you, Matt. I'm going. You know what? I'm going to put that on my boat. Too sexy for my jarski.
1: That should be the name of your boat, dude. <laughs> this is how I help.
0: I, this is how I,
1: I, I give back. I will, to will my let people. you
0: christen it with champagne. I will let I you christen it with champagne.
1: All right, well, we're going to mute you, put you back in the green room, go to the news, and we'll bring you back on with the other guys, okay?
0: Fantastic. Do I need to mute, or are you guys going to mute me on that side?
1: Uh, We'll mute you over here. Okay, thank you. Eric Charsky, everybody. All right, let's get to the news here. And there we go. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Alrighty, folks, during this part of the Stupid Cancer Show, we announced to our listeners a whole bunch of newsworthy stuff it programs, events, and services that we don't want you missing out on, and they're all free, and they're all just for young adults with cancer. Things like conferences, happy hours, retreats, kayaking and mountain climbing trips, finance webinars, college scholarships, bar crawls, concerts, tweet-ups, support groups, and more. So if you have something coming up that you'd like us to spread the word about during this part of the show please send us an email to info at stupidcancer.com. Head
5: on over to events.stupidcancer.com, your one-stop shop calendar for all of our Stupid Cancer events nationwide and even in Canada. Stay in the loop because something could be happening in your neck of the woods and we certainly don't want you missing out. And we've got Stupid Cancer events coming up in, Matthew.
1: All righty. This Thursday in New York City, the Spring Fling. This weekend in Boston, the I'm Too Young for This Dana Farber event. In uh, April 5th, the film screening of Wrong Way to Hope in Jersey. A Stupid Cancer Happy Hour in Ohio on April 5th. A Stupid Cancer Happy Hour in San Diego on April 7th. A Stupid Cancer Happy Hour in Minneapolis on April 11th. A Stupid Cancer Happy Hour in New Orleans on April 21st. And uh, well, that's enough. But everything's on our Google Calendar at events.stupidcancer.com. All right, the fourth annual OMG Summit has reopened registration, and that includes spots for both the conference itself and the cancer-tastic cruise to nowhere on Saturday, April 9th, April sixteenth. I'm excited about that cruise. Sign up now at OMG2011.org. That's OMG2011.org, and do not, do not, <laughs> do not miss. I am drunk. Do not miss your chance to attend the conference of the year for young adults affected by stupid cancer. Do not
5: eat a donut and do not miss Kate Donuts. Yeah. One of our Hi Kate. Hi, Kate. Announcing the Stupid Cancer Street Team brought to you by the Stupid Cancer Army and our friends at FanCorp. This is a truly social this is truly social networking with a purpose. Yes, it is. It's free, it's easy, win great prizes, build our grassroots effort and meet thousands of authentic fans from around the globe. Sign up today at stupidcancerarmy.com. You That's sounded right. like
1: Dr. Evil. you the glue. Yeah. One billion dollars. Yes, Matthew. Alrighty, the Stupid Cancer Forums are really actually taking off like a lightning rod. We've got about 500 people in there in just over a month and a half. This is our awesome new online support community that we're building. We need your help. Head on over to stupidcancerforums.com. Sign up with one click through Facebook. Literally one click through Facebook. One click. One click through Facebook. Thank you. (laughs) And network with survivors, caregivers, providers who are making a stink about super cancer. That includes... I just went through puberty. Includes. Includes parents who have young adult children that are sick, young adults who have pediatric children that are sick, and caregivers of young adult survivors, and patients. Good stuff.
5: Amen. Amen. Every Tuesday, our partners at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society present YA Connect, a free interactive webcast supporting young adults affected by all cancers. Check it out at lls.org slash yaconnect.
1: Good stuff, good stuff. And as always, be sure to register yourself with... Johnny Immerman's group, Immerman Angels, will be on the show in just a few seconds. Our partner in one-to-one peer matching at immermanangels.org. That's plural, immermanangels.org. And check out the calendar for First Descent, the premier outdoor adventure organization for young adults with cancer, online at firstdescents, plural, also FirstDescent.org. They host dozens of retreats and excursions each year, and that, my friends, is your stupid cancer news. All right. I I prematurely preempted the applause. Prematurely preempted. Yes. I have to find all my bios now.
5: Consistently guilty of prematurely
1: preempting. Something like that. Yeah. All right. Okay, lady, you go first.
5: We got some sage, right?
1: We got some good stuff
5: we got us some sage Bolte. all right sage bolting
0: you what got is it possi-
5: <laughs> hang on sage wait just Sorry. a second <laughs> that's okay What is the cost of unwanted treatments that kick the crap out of your sexual self? Thousands of dollars. What is the cost of gaining back a positive sense of your sexual self and being able to feel like you got it going on again? Priceless. Dr. Sage, a.k.a. the sex lady, is on a mission to help that happen. She's not talking about just sex, but about body image sexual esteem and sexual function, and how these impact all areas of your life. No question is off limits, and she's here to talk about being single with
1: cancer. Please welcome Sage Bolte. And in the near corner, in the red trunks, customized for comfortable one-ball fit, embroidered with the B-Well number one on his butt, we have John Ehrman from Chicago, who beats testicular cancer twice, as many times as he has remaining testicles, to show for his greatness. And yes, some call him Mr. Johnny, who's half nuts, and willing to talk about anything below the belt. The founder of Angels, Mr. Johnny Immelman, and finally...
2: Half nuts, that's
5: funny, half nuts. Tracy Maxwell was diagnosed with a rare form of ovarian cancer in 2006. In the fall of 2010, she had a recurrence. The toughest part of her journey has been navigating it as a single person without a built-in support system. Her goal is to support others in the same situation through a new organization called Solo Survivors, whose mission is to help single survivors feel whole again. Please welcome Tracy Maxwell. Tracy Maxwell,
1: Johnny Emmerman, Sage Tracy. Walty, and we're bringing back Mr. Charsky. Folks, welcome to the Stupid <laughs> Cancer Show. You're all returning champions. How's everybody doing? to be back.
6: <laughs> <laughs> what is happening everybody Thanks Our so round for table Oh yeah. yes
1: our pre-OMG round table Of all stars Yes you guys are um, Well Eric I think you're coming to the summit But Johnny, Tracy and Sage yeah. Are our uh, Singles with cancer panel You will be trafficking through Hundreds of young adult survivors At this event coming to hear your expertise On what we're going to talk about tonight And um, I guess It goes without saying that being single with cancer is probably terrible for most people. But uh, let's start with Tracy, because you, I feel, have been one of the research pioneers in trying to understand sort of the psyche or the demographics or the real needs that single survivors want and need. Um, Just go into your quick story for the record for our listeners, and I want to hear more about What prompted you to take this leadership role in trying to help others who are single?
3: Absolutely. First of all, great to be back. Thanks for having me again, and I'm looking forward to OMG and being on the panel with these awesome guys. Um, And I would not ever call myself a research guru, for sure, but I did do a, a Survey Monkey Needs Assessment just to kind of find out what are the needs of this community, because what prompted me to do this is that I had a tough time when I was going through treatment, and trying to deal with the after effects of treatment, the scars and the body image issues and the sexual issues and dating and, and all of those things that come up for those of us who are single and dealing with this. And I wanted some support, and I just didn't find anything out there specifically for single people. So I thought, hey, why not start something on my own? And, and uh, I also didn't want to just assume that because I had had certain issues that everybody else had them. So that's what prompted me to do the survey and really find out what are the issues that single survivors are dealing with?
5: And what would you say were your what was were first and foremost, for, first and foremost your overriding issues?
3: You know, some of the the biggest stuff that the survey told us were also the same things that I dealt with. Um, feeling alone. I think when you're single and you live alone, it's often really it's really easy to feel alone. And when you go through something tough, like I always found when you know at 9/11 or really difficult times when something big was going on, a natural disaster tragedy, or, you know, even in Colorado when you have three feet of snow and you're kind of stuck in your house, that those are the times you really, really feel alone. You just want to be around other people. And and going through a serious illness is another one of those times. You just feel, it just exacerbates that lonely feeling, I think. And and then some of the others that have already been mentioned, I mean, um, dating anxiety, body image issues dealing with sexuality, fertility, all those things are things that that, um, single survivors worry about and deal with. And, you know, how do you deal with fertility issues when you haven't even had a date in a few months or you don't have your hair and you, you have to now think about preserving your fertility? It can be really tough to deal with that when you're single. And I think another big thing that came up over and over again is just the fact that you have to make so many really big decisions. That could affect your life, um, and you have to kind of do that alone, or rely on your parents when you're, um, you know, you've been out of the house and away from your family for a while, and now you either have to go back to your parents or, or deal with making these kinds of decisions all on your own.
1: So part of what you're talking about are the sort of the hardcore logistical navigation issues, not even the social issues per se. But I want you to just talk briefly about the website you started, and then I'm going to kick it over to Sage. As the PhD in the room excuse me uh, who has all this experience being on the flip side of this as the person offering support to folks in your position trace
3: absolutely some of the things I'm finding out are that um, you know those social connections play such an important role in our health and well-being and again as single people we may not feel like we have as strong a social connection and so we've started kind of a, a, an online community we just Started a Facebook group. It's uh, Solo Survivors. You can search on Facebook and find us, and we'd love to have you. Where there's some active discussion going on. We put up a really basic website for now because we're just kind of getting started with with this organization. It's Solo is the website. And in the last few days, I've had a number of people kind of sign up through the website to be in our list, and so. We'll, we'll keep track of those names and let people know when we have stuff going on. We did a canoe trip last summer on the Colorado River that was a huge success for the 15 people that came, and we're planning on doing something like that again in late August. I'll have more information ready to announce, hopefully, at OMG. But um, like I said, we're new, but we're starting to do more and more stuff, and uh, we, we really want to keep in touch with the people and find out what the needs are.
1: So I'll kick it over to Sage. Sage, you've been on the receiving end of these uh, support service needs for quite a while now. Sure. Uh, what's your take on this?
7: <clears throat> on which part? On living, <laughs> being single with cancer? I, I You know, I think, um, it, as Tracy said, and she's a survivor she would know best, especially from our needs assessment, you know, what we know is that, people are hungry for connection and and i think the hardest challenge of or the biggest challenge of being single with cancer is kind of knowing how to navigate your way back into the dating world and um, how to disclose to someone that you're a survivor? How to explain the missing ball, Johnny, or um, the <laughs> missing breath, oh, no. or, or just the changes in body, um, and even even something as simple as why you've been out of work. Um, you know, when you're on a date and you're trying to find things to talk about, and the newest greatest thing for you is that you haven't had chemo in three months. You, you kind of have to get back into the groove of getting a life again outside of cancer, and that certainly. Can Be scary, daunting, and challenging, I think, for a lot of people. Um, Trying to find their voice again and their rhythm is probably a huge, um, not just challenge, but an exciting thing as well. I don't want to look at it as a negative. I think it also provides an opportunity when you start dating that you have an opportunity if you want to recreate yourself, recreate yourself.
5: So, Sage, you just opened the door for this. I've got to have, I have to uh, um, take the ball and run with it, so to speak. You bet. Johnny. Um, <laughs> well, this <laughs> 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 moment is brought well, you by the Ball. <laughs> <laughs> <drop it>. But <laughs> I'm ball. so. One. It's all a love fest between Johnny and I. We're all good. Uh, Ab- absolutely. We, absolutely. I love
6: about she keeps it real, and we all knew that the kids tell it like it is. Well,
5: Johnny. So you know, <laughs> folks obviously know you when you run an organization, so they kind of know the deal when they meet you. However um there might be one or two out there who don't and and to sage point sage's point of how do you tell somebody if you have one ball or you know that you what you've gone through uh kind of walk us through practically how you approach a situation like that when you meet someone
6: absolutely well i want to say hi to everyone first it's great to talk to each of you thanks so much again for having me on the show love the community here and I love each of you. Thanks so much for having me on. And of course, as these people know and the listeners, please know, I am 100% open about my one ball or lack thereof. So ask anything. <laughs> There's no question out of bounds. The one ball, so I'm a testicular cancer survivor. And yes, losing a ball and how to bring it up in dating, when to bring it up, to bring it up at all. I think it's tough at a certain point you have to in any relationship. But I'm a big believer personally, and I know Sage and I have had a lot of conversations about this, that I think the sooner the better. Because to me, it's really a litmus test. Is this the kind of girl that's able to handle serious issues in life? Because we all know as cancer people, there's serious challenges in life. Everyone has challenges. But I know the young adults with cancer have had earlier major challenges in life. And if someone's unable to deal with the fact that to talk about losing a ball, uh, early in the game, it's probably a sign that that may not be the right girl for you. She may not be able to handle it. So I'm a big believer the earlier to bring it up, the better. Um, yeah, I, 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 to me, the first date, I, I would. Yeah. But I yeah. realize that everyone's able to say that, you know, not everyone. But I think if you have the courage to do it, I don't think anyone would hold it against you, I guess is my main point.
7: That's just because right. Johnny walks in on his first date with a I'm a one-ball wonder T-shirt. So. <laughs> There's no gambling way
1: away with on your him. sleeve, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> right. I
6: mean, I mean, not in those words, obviously, but let's say for the average person listening to a testicular survivor. Maybe this is the best way to give a little guidance, not to say I have one ball, but to say, you know, I went to cancer maybe when I was 24, and it was testicular cancer. And uh, maybe a little bit about what happened. The first step, of course, for all of us to lose a testicle. I mean, that is standard operation. And, um, right, it's all about the delivery, but I think to be able um, to say that you had testicular cancer and this is a surgery you had, I mean, to me, a girl that's not able to handle that is not a girl that you probably want to be with, because there's probably going to be a lot more challenges in life we've all got.
7: Can I chime in there, just as Johnny said, you know, the the most important thing about when you're disclosing is that you feel really comfortable with your story because if you're sitting there and nervous or you're not sure um, how you feel about yourself, then then the other person isn't going to be sure how to feel about you either. So we all struggle with self-image issues in the first place. And add Cancer on Top of that, I know it's compounding, up, but... If you feel comfortable disclosing your story, and again, it doesn't have to be that you tell them the physical ramifications. I mean, not many of us are going to bed with someone within our first date, so we could slow it down a bit. And you don't even have to disclose the physical ramifications of treatment unless they ask. It may come up in the second or third date. By that point, you might feel a little more comfortable. But sharing the cancer survivorship, as Johnny was saying in that first date, may be something that you feel comfortable with. You don't have to disclose all of it at once.
1: And as a matter of fact, yeah, to time in here, we had a question on our Facebook group today about the show from uh, Stephanie Kaufman, exactly about this issue. Is there ever a right time to tell somebody that you have had cancer, and how do you get past being pushed away after telling someone if they abandon
0: you because of that? Can, can, hey, Matt, can I jump in on this one? No. Okay, thank you. <laughs> um, Go ahead, Eric. I'm going to jump in on this. From, from being married when when I, when I was diagnosed to being single afterwards and actually having that come up, I, I, and, and having it come up a couple of times when I've been dating and, and now being having to figure out when they're comfortable. I'm comfortable completely, as Johnny is, saying it in the first date, but it's when they're comfortable with it, within the first two or three dates of bringing it up, of, of saying, hey, this is what's happened. Um, and I think another thing that Johnny hit on that was perfect is he said, this is standard for every testicular patient, if we can standardize it and not make it personal to us, it makes it easier for them to understand as well. Mm. Very well
6: said. Good point. Good point I'd love to chime
3: in a, with the female side of that because, um, you know, mine's kind of hidden. My ovarian cancer, no one would really ever see, and so I don't have to disclose that necessarily before sexual activity occurs like these guys have to do, but... I also think, I mean, this is a question people ask all the time, how and when do you disclose this? And for me, when I've worried about it and wondered, oh, when should I bring it up, um, it doesn't, it's not a good way to do it. I think if you just kind of let it happen organically, there'll be right. a right, right time for it to come up. And there'll be some people that you may not even like enough on the first date that you want to tell them. And so there's no need for you to have to feel like you need to do that. You know, wait for the second or third date till you see if there's some potential there. And then let it just kind of happen organically. And I fully agree that if you're comfortable with the way that you share it, then that will make it easier for the person to, to receive it as well.
1: And, and Tracy, to fo- to follow up on this, and then with Sage also, from the female perspective, you know, I, I don't know what the stats are, but a majority of women who are diagnosed with cancer become, you know, sort of fertility challenged in a sense where they either have questionable fertility going on mm-hmm. or they have the hysterectomy or just there are all these factors into whether they can bear their own children. Does that you think factor into relationship building where you want to find a guy, but you have to disclose that you can't have children naturally, and he may or may not be amenable to that?
3: Yeah, it definitely does. And, and again, I think it's important to kind of share that early on. I mean, recently I was I met someone online, and you know, online dating makes all this a whole different world too because. People say right on their profile whether or not they want kids. And so I kind of started chatting with this guy, and I noticed on his profile that he said he wanted kids. And so I disclosed, No, well, I have, still haven't even met him, but I just disclosed right away, hey, look, I can't have kids. I had a hysterectomy as a result of, I, actually, I didn't even tell him why. I just, said, I just said I can't have kids. And I just said I want to, you know, if that's a deal breaker for you, then you, may, you might want to pursue some other people. And that left it open for him. And if he had said, hey, yeah, I really want kids and it is a deal-breaker, then that would have been fine with me. But he didn't. He actually said, you know, it's been a couple of years since I put that up. I'm not not so sure anymore, and, and I'm happy to pursue this further because I, I think you're a cool chick and I'd like to get to know you better. So I think you have to be prepared for either one. It's kind of like Johnny said, if, you, if you're if you with someone who can't handle that, it's better to know sooner than later. Right. And, and, and to be fair, too, you know,
7: They may not be able to bear their own children, but you can have children. You may have them in other non-conventional ways, whether it's through surrogacy or adoption or other ways. There are other ways to have kids. And also, Matthew, we have to remember that there are women who want to date women as well. And so the fertility issue may or may not be an issue with them, but um, disclosing the sexual ramifications might be because they may not be able to have an orgasm like they used to. And so uh, helping that partner understand that it's not about them, that it's not about their lack of attraction or their lack of desire towards that person but um, that their body's just different and so they're going to have to feel more comfortable again it gets back to feeling comfortable in your own skin. Get comfortable in your own skin so that you can guide that person to what does feel good now when it gets to the sexual place but before that even um, getting comfortable with cuddling and touching I mean some people's skin is so sensitive after chemotherapy they hate being hugged so um if you 're going to jump ten feet backwards when you 're touched, you might want to disclose that ahead of time again of what what is appropriate or or feel good or not feel good touch if we 're talking about touch
5: yeah, you know sage uh, it's Lisa I had a actually somewhat of a of a the flip side uh situation when I was diagnosed with breast cancer at twenty nine I found that um I would date people that i wouldn 't necessarily date or didn 't necessarily like kind of before i had the breast cancer Mm -hmm. but i think subconsciously or unconsciously felt like damaged goods and so was grateful not on a conscious level but on an unconscious level was grateful that they accepted me Mm -hmm. and so dated them and then found myself in situations where i had to sort of after many many months of hard work sort of do a reality check and say wait i'm the same person I was before the cancer, and if I can't fall in love with, the, you know, the love can't be about the cancer
2: right. specifically,
5: and I can't. Fall, and that was a really, really tricky thing to navigate. I imagine you have come up against that with with others as well.
7: Absolutely, that's and it's very well stated, Lisa. And I think a lot of people struggle with, and not just females. I actually, in my in my research, there was a lot of guys that said that exact thing I feel like damaged good or I'm coming with too much baggage to the relationship and Johnny's heard me say this many people have heard me say this you know what who of us don't come to a relationship with baggage by the time we hit 21 we probably already have six suitcases full. Um, and, well, yes, if you're cancer, Jewish and
0: live in New York, you're, you're doomed from day one. So, <laughs> hey, your whole family moved in with you, Max. Come on, right, you, Mac. Right. <laughs> um,
7: And I think you know, cancer. I, I I would encourage people to look at cancer a little differently. It's just it's just part of your story. It's not what defines you. It's not an additional baggage. It's part of your story. And I think for a lot of people, at least the people I'm interacting with, have really taken that and run with it to make it something that they can incorporate into their life in a positive way. Not that cancer needed to happen for those things to happen, but that they found ways to get around it.
0: Sure, sure. Can I jump in on that really quick? Mm-hmm. Uh, because no. There's one, it, Matt, come on. <laughs> stop it. There, there was, there was, I was asked a couple of questions uh, when I was dating. At what point you let go of cancer and you let go of it being a, an identifier and that you're able to just be and I, and and I had to sit there and think about that and say you know I think that's different for everybody but what you were just talking about men and women I went through an issue like I said where I was married and then was single afterwards and the whole dating thing was different for me because there were a lot of things that changed mm-hmm. and and it was really and I had to think about it of going what is normal what is what is normal for me I was I've, I've had a pretty crazy career and and what do I want in my life and then had to become uh comfortable with saying you know what it doesn't define me it's not who i am and and i and and if somebody knows me great and if they don't know me then they don't need to know me type thing but it was a it was a win i had to learn when other people are comfortable and and um and i had to find that finding the right person meant loving me first and and letting go of everything else and that's what a lot of the the stuff that I've been writing about lately has been about is my struggle going through that.
7: That's awesome. And, Tracy, I think you said it well, too. There's a lot of cancers that are not visible to the naked eye. Mm-hmm. So they may be something that is, um, you know, something that nobody may know. You may have had a cute short haircut for all of your life and you had it before cancer, and so nobody would know that it's different or that they never saw you with long hair. People, you may not have a visible scar that you have to disclose. And so, again, for those who don't have visible changes, you have a little bit more, I think, leniency in, in when you choose to disclose. Um, and you may wait to see if you even like the person. And I agree with Tracy. If you get on that first date and you're like, dude, this guy blows. I don't want to see him again. <laughs> Why would you share that part of your life with him? Um <clears throat>
1: I want to take this conversation to Sage's side of the equation, but from, from um, perhaps Johnny's and Tracy's and Eric's perspective. You know, we can talk about how or suggestions for behaviors and approaches when you're looking to start dating again or how to deal with certain situations, but what, what is the expectation or the role, if any, you feel should come from the physicians and the providers at the centers that you are uh, getting care for at?
0: The role uh, that they should play in allowing—not in allowing, but in helping us accept ourselves for dating—is that what you're asking, Matt?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, the, like Tracy said, the isolation, the I'm all alone, or for many people who don't live near their family or their parents when they get sick and don't want to move back in with their parents and want to maintain some sense <coughs> of singleness or identity for themselves. You know, is—is is there a need that isn't currently being met in the clinics by social workers? or by patient navigators or nurses to be respectful and appreciative of that this is something unique to this patient that they're not helping address or support.
0: I think that goes back to a conversation that we've had a lot of defining what is a young adult, where the hospitals, it's not concurrent all the way across the country um, between peds and young adults, and they're not breaking it out into different categories, so they're not defining the needs. And I think that would definitely be needed by a social worker, not by the doctor themselves, though. So we have to clone the sage, basically. Yeah.
6: Yeah,
7: that's exactly right. Yeah. Over, over and over and over changes, again. But there are a lot of me. I mean, they're really in all of your hospitals, whether you know it or not. And, again, I think this is where we do need to get better. Um, and, and I think the Association of Oncology Social Workers are really pushing towards improving this, that um, we get more visible. We need to be able to show our value as social workers and without, like, Patients reporting it back and without some of the research, it's hard. People, unfortunately, our value isn't necessarily seen within the hospital systems and the medical systems. The doctors and nurses believe they can do it all, and they do a great job, but they, they're missing a component that they can't address.
6: Yes, I, I, to expand on that point, I mean, Sage is a special person. I mean, not just because she's on the phone right now. I mean, this is, I think, I know how we all feel about her. And to be open and to be honest, and Sage is comfortable a lot about everything. I mean, she will talk about everything, and I think most social workers are like that, too, but I think mean, you're like yeah. the prototype for that. And the reality is, and let's just be real and practical here, I mean, it's not going to come from the doctors. The doctors can refer you to someone like Sage or refer you to m and Angels or refer you to a program to Connect, but the reality is the doctor is not going to sit down there in most cases and talk you about your dating life and your sexual life. And what could go on? is just that's just not the way the system's built for, unfortunately. But um, clearly, I mean, there's such a need for the social workers to be there, and and and, and really, what i and Super Cancer Show is all about is making sure people are aware that the Sage Boltsies exist, and that's where they need to go if they have such needs to connect the dots, so people are able to find those services and take advantage of them.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: Absolutely. Um, I'd like to go back uh, and uh, talk about something that Tracy touched on earlier, too, which is out, about parents. You're single as a young adult, and often when you get a diagnosis, you have to go back into the fold, which is such a difficult thing. You know, you've already flown the coop, and you're looking to spread your wings and fly and make a career and date and all those things, and then suddenly, boom, you're either um, you know, back in your parents' house Uh, which is sort of a tough thing psychologically but can be a good thing if you have a close relationship. Or we have some people in the chat room that are saying, you know, I had a difficult relationship with my parents and then I was single on top of that. Um, So kind of what can you do and where else can you turn? Can you sort of address those two issues of parenting, whether you're close and how you navigate that to kind of go back under their wing or if you've got a strained relationship, kind of where else you can turn as a single person? Yeah,
3: I'll say. You know, this is Tracy, and I, I didn't have to. I didn't have to move back in with my parents, but luckily, I had. I, I have a close relationship with them, and so I could rely on them, even though they were halfway across the country. I knew I could call, and they'd fly out to be here with me for surgery or chemo, and and you know, my siblings too. And and I, I will put in a plug for some of the services that are out there. Um, my favorite is MyLifeline.org, that allows you to. To put up a website to keep people uh, informed of what's going on with your treatment and what you need while you're going through that process because because I was able to do that when I was going through treatment, my friends were hugely supportive. And I have great friends all over the country, so they weren't all necessarily right here in my community in Denver either, but, but they flew out to be with me and help me for every chemo session. They, you know, sent me meals. They, they did whatever they could from, from near and far to help me out. And so even if you don't have a close relationship with your family, I would hope that you would have um, some good friends nearby or even far away who could help support you through that. And if not, then I think, you know, where that social worker comes in is to help connect you with some other services that are, that are available in your local area because I'm always astounded at how many great services there are out there. Um, and I was able to take advantage of a lot of them during treatment, but then there were a ton more that that I didn't even know about at the time. And, and I feel like I was pretty well connected. So, again, just asking for the help and putting it out there, you'll be amazed at what you can find.
5: Sure. Anybody else want to jump in on that, or you, you know, to the yeah? Those the... are
6: those are great points, Tracy. No doubt about it. I'm glad you sounded so strong too. First of all, most importantly, it's good to, good to hear your voice. I mean, those are those are great points. I mean, I think awareness is the key, right? I mean, that is the heart of ITY. I mean, we have the sage polities out there. We have amazing social workers. Um, we got to remind the hospitals the importance of the social workers out there. I mean, I, I can't underscore it enough. I mean, we hear it every day in our office. And, and people just, they're not going to turn to their oncologist for that and maybe a nurse on some situations but the social worker at the hospital is the most logical person to turn to who's going to sit down with you and say, look you in the eye and say, how are you dealing? How are you dealing with this? Let's talk about it. What do you want to talk about? Let me ask you
1: guys a question. I'm trying to interrupt. Do you ever feel when you meet people who are parents that get sick and have kids that there's a resentment perhaps that you're single and maybe can't have children or... The relationship and the interplay between, like for example, our, at the summit, we're having this panel on singles with cancer, and complemented by a panel on families and parenting with cancer. Do you? And this was by popular demand. This was like requested of the highest need from last year's conference. Do you feel that there's some sort of resentment or transference that goes on between the two, um, simply by the, just the nature of of going through this? Are you asking
7: if people – this is Sage – are you asking if, like, a person who's single and a person who is a parent, that they're both young adults, if there's resentment happening between the two groups? Is that what you're asking?
1: I mean, I've seen this happen firsthand. And I hmm. just think it's it's a transference issue, really. But yeah. but that that, you know, wouldn't it be nice if I was sick and had somebody –
7: Oh, um, oh, oh, oh! So even if you just had a partner, and right, not even exactly. necessarily yeah, children. I, I yeah.
1: Families, partners. yeah, sure. Yeah. I, I, I,
7: I just want to speak to that because it's interesting you say that, Matthew. In our, in we, I have a great, very prosperous young adult group, um, and there is all types, whether single, married, partnered with children, without children, having children after cancer. All types, and I think we speak very openly and honestly about some of the the challenges of that, or at least you have someone. I mean, somebody will just say that, or they'll say, you know, isn't it great that you've been able to get pregnant after cancer? I can't. Um, There doesn't seem to be resentment, at least in the group, when there's discussion about it, when we can respect, like, there's different and unique challenges to each of those situations. Um, Yes, I didn't have a child that I had to put through this, Um, and now I may not be able to have a child and that sucks or um, yeah I did have a child who had to go through it and I wish I wouldn't have and that sucks I mean I think everybody has a different perspective and if we start um, pegging yours is better than your situation's better than mine. I mean, cancer sucks, right. and it sucks for everyone, whether you have someone with you or not. I'm sure that the road might be a little smoother if you have good. Well, we know that. I'm not sure. I, I am sure that the road is smoother if you have a support system in place. But who that support system is. Um, you know if we're going to play if we're going to play mine is better than yours because you have a spouse and i have a best friend that gets i think that's sad if we get caught up in that just to stand on my pedestal for a moment
1: no and i agree but it does happen i <laughs> i've seen it happen yeah, and it's it actually unfortunate. happened to me. You know, it's happened directly to me, too. I Most people don't remember that I, I'm a cancer survivor, even though I say it all the time. I was treated in the Stone Age with Lisa back in 1996. Oh, my
2: God, you guys are
7: alive oh and
2: speaking? God. I know, I know. We
1: we were single when we were diagnosed, and right. we had issues when we were diagnosed, and now we have partners, and there is, I, I can sense that there's a resentment, but it's completely transference. And it's it's very hard, not to me specifically, but in general, there is yeah. a resentment um, for people who have to adopt and they should be just happy that they can adopt or that they can have be blessed to have a child and then get sick and not be able to have another child but enjoy the child that they have. You know, that it, it, it becomes a contest somehow, yeah. and it's not okay that it is that way, but if you've not experienced that, uh, that's fantastic. But I even in the chat room we're getting feedback that people are very bitter about this, but they're mature about their bitterness. <laughs> if that's
2: possible.
1: Matt,
0: I think Matt, I think you and I have talked about this a couple of times, but I think the biggest thing is it comes down to identity of ourselves, of how we yes, look at ourselves, and right. and and how we're handling that. Yeah. And I think a lot of the times with with young adults, especially when they're they're college or or just post college. They're just figuring out who they are at that point, and to have their feet knocked out from underneath them is really, really critical at that point. And, and I don't think the support structure has been developed specifically for their needs yet.
7: Yeah, or and, it supports the system that can stay with them through it, Eric, e- like you're exactly, saying. Exactly, yeah.
0: exactly, exactly. Yeah. And and I think that's where a lot of the bitterness comes from, and then it carries forward yeah. because they they haven't been able to get their hands around it at the initial stages.
7: So I think that's an interesting topic, Matthew, that maybe I too I can start addressing so we can just make peace with everyone and let's just bond and be beautiful together.
0: <laughs> I hey, I'm all for Kumbaya.
7: <laughs> that's interesting. You know, I think if there I think it's great that people are being honest about it on the chat and um it warrants a discussion and dialogue. I don't I, in our group we talk about it very openly, but again, it's It is respectfully, and I don't get the sense of bitterness. I think there's some, um, there might be some jealousy or some um, uh, admiration, maybe in in certain situations. But I have an experience where it's like a competition or bitterness. That's really unfortunate that that's happening. Given cancer, I mean, cancer sucks.
0: I've I've seen the competition, unfortunately, and and I'll say at at our age of of the post. Young adult cancer. Um, mm. With some of the, with some of the older groups that are out there, so, and I'll say some of the senior organizations, I've seen that where where people have had cancer for fifteen or twenty years, and they feel now that they're the 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 prophets within the cancer world, and and it's like no, that's that's not mm. um, that's not the way that it is, and 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 we, I, th- I think if as we've all traveled around the country, we've seen different organizations and different um functions where it's just not as positive as it could be because it's not focused on continued growth. It gets, sometimes gets focused on money or um who's got the biggest name or, or sometimes the the focus gets shifted in the wrong direction. And I think that's sometimes where it comes from Matt.
1: No, I, I definitely agree. And like I said it's most of it is transference and people don't mean it. But it's that, that survivor guilt that you, you can't help feel right, right. sometimes mm-hmm. that, you know, someone went through surgery four times and you only had it two right. times. But yeah. at the same time, it's still just fucking ridiculous to begin with. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you should, I mean, really
7: and truly, the, the chat that's happening right now is really really interesting. Really interesting.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, we have to close soon, but Lisa has a final question, which I think you can all can answer very interestingly. Go ahead, Lisa.
5: Well, this is Matthew's question, actually.
1: No, no I want Lisa. We have Lisa, two, we have two it questions. It sounds better when Lisa asks my Does questions.
5: It? Yes. Well, Matthew <laughs> has a question about dating other survivors, um, survivors dating survivors, mm-hmm. which we, I'd like to address. And I actually had a quick question, too, about maybe Sage and, or whoever would like to chime in on this. When you're single and you're going through the throes of treatment um, and all of that, it's you know, that's a point where – you can have a lot of friends and, and possibly family around you. But um, after all the treatment stops and people might tend you to fall. You think you're
4: over it? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. They
5: tend to yeah, fall away to yeah. and then you uh, go back to normal yeah. and it, you, the feelings of isolation and right. now what and am I taking time yeah. off, all those things. Uh, yeah. Paige, can you throw in some pearls of wisdom to that one?
7: I can, and I'm sure Tracy, Johnny, and Eric can probably share even more wisdom because I can share the professional wisdom. and I usually call that the oh, shit moment. Like <laughs> you you kind of pull up your bootstraps, you get through that treatment, whether it's a year or two years, you just kind of focus on the end goal being getting done. And everybody rallies and makes you dinner and do all the nice things and gets you to appointments, and then you get done, and you haven't even started to realize what you just went through and that's right. when the oh shit what just happened and that's when the world falls apart and the and the kind of world comes out from underneath you and that's yep. when you need the most support and that's when people disappear because they think you're done
4: you're here, here. Yep. it really well, yep. it really
7: goes to educating yep. people and asking for what you need it, it does come from and i think this is where the challenge is if you're 22 you may not have had the experience to be able to kind of advocate and, and ask for what your needs are where if you're 32 You might have had more life experiences to be able to do that, but it really does come down to saying in a very blank and um, blunt way, you may think I'm done, but I'm just starting the healing process, and my body needs another year or two of recovery before I even start feeling like life is getting back to any kind of sense of norm and asking for further support. But it really comes from the survivor educating, and I know that kind of sucks because it puts you back in in the role of asking for help, but that's where it comes from. I don't know, Tracy, Johnny, Eric, your thoughts.
0: I, I think you're spot um, on on that. Actually, yeah, Amanda Amanda has something that. to weigh in here. Uh-huh.
4: Yeah, no, I experienced that firsthand the first time I got cancer, and it completely caught me off guard because I was better. And suddenly one day, you know, I was out with friends. I had only been, like, out of treatment for, like, two weeks. We went swimming at a lake, and I got into the lake, and I know how to swim, but suddenly I was convinced I was going to drown. I had a total panic attack. And then I developed this crazy anxiety. Anytime I went anywhere to meet new people, I was like, oh, my God, they they can clearly look at me and see that I'm different. And nobody told me that this would happen. And then, like, all the idle time you suddenly develop, like, you're not, like, in a doctor's office in a waiting room and, like, you don't have, like, this appointment <laughs> right. full of things to do. Suddenly you've got to, like, make appointments with, like, friends and, like, see people and, and your life just, does a complete like one eighty and it gets quiet. It's, yeah, and you're you yeah. don't know what to do and nobody tells you that, and so now that I'm about to end treatment again, I'm like, maybe now that I know things, like it won't be so hard, you know, getting right. back in and living again, you're a pro, but who <laughs> unfortunately, <knows>? like, <laughs> we'll see what happens in three weeks,
2: <laughs> so
1: I mean, just just to wrap up the conversation, the reason I was curious to know about dating other survivors was I mean my wife. Thankfully, he's not a cancer survivor, but her brother was when I met her, Um, and he passed away, unfortunately, uh, a few years after we met, but he was sort of the reason, I should say, sort of the common thread that gave me permission to accept that I could have a relationship with somebody after five years of just feeling completely socially awkward about what I was going through and sort of having no real identity for myself post-diagnosis, and and, again, the fact that he passed away was just sort of another bond that we still carry today, and we have kids now, my son's named after my, my, my brother-in-law. So do you think that there's an inherent value or danger in considering cancer survivors dating other cancer survivors, um, A, because they would really have no necessary judgment against one another, but there's always the heightened risk that they possibly could die, or could they get hit by a bus, and that doesn't matter anyway?
0: Uh, Matt, this is Eric, and and I'm going to jump in on that one because Johnny and I have had this conversation probably a million times, and and I think the the most important thing that I've learned in having dated other survivors is that uh, we may think that they're at the same level that we are, or they may think that we're at the same level in our acceptance and our growth. Uh, exactly. But. The, the, a lot of the times they can't explain where they're at or we can't explain where our, where we're at and that we we take for granted that hey I got through this why can't you or they take it for granted if I got through this why can't you and sometimes that creates its own problems I think there's inherent beauty in it in that we understand each other and there's an unsaid um, uh, collaboration of of feelings and emotions because of what we've gone through But I think also on the flip side, if you have two people in the same house with cancer or one has cancer and one has a reoccurrence, it creates a lot of issues. So I don't think there's any right or wrong answer from my point of having dated survivors and non-survivors. I I think it's all about the person, the love, and and where they are in life and, and the acceptance for the relationship.
7: And I agree, Eric, and I think I would just chime in and say, you know, if, if all you're doing is looking for survivors, I think the key question for any, whether you're dating a survivor or not, is why? Why are you seeking right. out that person? It goes back to you, right? What is it that I'm trying to hide or what is it that I'm running from or what is it that I'm running to, no matter who or what the person is. So ask yourself the question why. If it's because I'm too scared to date someone that isn't a survivor, then maybe you need to do some work on that. Um, I, and, I fell into uh, that category. Okay, so, I, and I think when, when you do that work, you're going to be way more open to dating either or. Just like as a therapist, I wouldn't recommend that I hook up two trauma survivors, right? I mean, why would I want to throw them in a boat together to traumatic experience if they haven't done the work ahead of time? Because then they're right. just going to keep re-traumatizing each other. Yeah.
0: And, and I think that's a key point is the trauma involved with the cancer and where they're at and their acceptance of it.
7: Yeah, and, yeah. The why behind it.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I
1: mean, this and more, ladies and gentlemen, live <laughs> on stage at the <laughs> Alden Building, April 16th in New second. York City. Um, I know we lost Tracy on the call on maybe her cell phone died or whatever, but she will be uh, in New York with you guys on the panel, uh, April 16th in New York City. I can't thank you enough for opening up this conversation,
2: and
5: I can't thank you enough either. No, this has been a great show.
1: Yes. It's- A very, very sensitive, important, potentially uncomfortable topic sometimes. But our chat room was on fire. Everyone loves what you're talking about. And uh, I can't wait to see you guys in two and a half weeks.
7: Yeah, kisses, kisses. I can't wait to see you.
1: All right. Eric Charsky, uh, Tracy Maxwell, Johnny Immerman, Dr. Sage Bolte. Thank you guys so much for being on the show. Thank
2: Thank you, everybody. We'll see you soon.
1: Safe travels. See you in New York. Okay.
2: Well, wow, again, another
1: another another good show really Ran, good running 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 overtime for the right reasons. That's right, and um, really impressive. I mean, again, I, I've seen the flack that comes my way, and the way of other parents uh, who have kids who maybe are survivors, them are survivors from par- from couples who can't have children that resent the fact that I could. Rhetorically, of course, but you know, it, it's just there is a level of dis. Discordance, if you would. That's that interesting. Is, is I, I was not
5: aware of that. It is but unspoken. That's, you know, yeah. But yeah. good to talk
6: about it.
1: All right. Well, let's wrap the show. Thanks for listening tonight. Now it is time for our closing
6: sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets.
2: You
1: ever seen a grown man naked?
2: And
6: so to all of you, a fond
2: farewell. Hooray! I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. <laughs> That was so terrible. I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks,
5: that is tonight's show, our one hundred and seventy-seventh broadcast. We hope you had as much fun as we did
1: poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. Alrighty, I'd like to thank our in-studio guests, James Manning and the lovely Amanda Freeman. And our live guests, Eric Chersky, Tracy Maxwell, Johnny Emmerman, and Doctor Sage Bolti. Join us
5: next week when we will do another pre-OMG Summit show, Patient
1: Navigation, with
5: our friends from the National Coalition of Oncology Nurse Navigators, Sharon France, the Executive Director and Co-Founder, and Rebecca Truff, who is the Vice President and Co-Founder, and in the Survivor Spotlight, Kelly Madigan, young adult survivor, frequent faith
1: here around I2I, a Hodgkin lymphoma survivor. Alrighty, folks, if you missed any of our past shows, download them all for free on iTunes at iTunes.stupidcancer.com. Or check out all the archives of our last three and a half years at stupidcancershow.com. Remember, if it's not stupid, it's not cancer. Live from the ChemoDeck, on behalf of Lisa Bernhardt, myself, and all of our whole team here at I2Y, have a great week. Go to, Go bed, to bed, star! star.
2: And smile on a friendly show. Welcome aboard in love.
5: With Lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere.
2: Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom?
4: Sorry.